0: this and so i want to point this out Uh, we've been studying together walking in the curse versus walking in the in the blessing of jesus or the new covenant of jesus and and how that's a, a really a gift that christ has given us his grace his mercy his forgiveness and if we were to bring things to the table we have these things to bring jealousy and pride and greed And competition and compare, those are the things that we come and offer to Christ at the table, saying, if we're going to make covenant together, Christ, and I want to offer to you who I am, you offer to me who you are, these are the types of things that we have to offer. And if you'll notice, they're not really much of a gift at all, or a treasure. We can't go to Christ and say, here's my greed I hope that you do with it what you desire, and I hope that you receive it as a blessing. Here's my jealousy. I hope that you also receive that as a blessing to you, Jesus. Uh, The same with taking it to the world. Here's what we have to offer you, world. Greed and jealousy and competition and compare and envy and all these things um, that Paul talks about in Galatians 5 that are fruits of the flesh. When we offer those things, we really are not a gift to anyone. We are duped into thinking that it's a, that it is a gift, and we, we think that we are a gift to, to many, but truth be told, it's a gift to no one. And so this is what we have to offer Christ at, at the table. If we were to meet him and sign a covenant contract with him, these are the types of things that we have to offer. And the amazing thing about what Christ does for us is he says, I will take these things and I will completely wipe them away. And then I will give you the gift of the new covenant, the give, give you the gift of the true blessing, the amazing grace that we just sang about i 'll give that to you, well, Christ, I want to offer you something no no, no no, nothing that you offer to me is worthy. Let me do all the offering for you on your behalf, and so receive the gift from me and 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 really truly just bask in that, bask in the glory the glory of christ so um this morning i hope that we can study a little bit about the sin of greed and then um and then hopefully we we leave here beholding jesus because that's all that's um worthy of beholding so i'm going to ask these lovely ladies to pass out the sermon notes and then um you guys if you want one of those grab one of those and a pen and a bible and turn to luke chapter two and we'll keep studying about jesus chapter 2, and as you're turning there, grab those, those fill-in-the-blanks, somebody might need to help them, I don't know, not that they're not capable, but just to speed up the process there, Luke chapter 2, we'll talk about greed, um, what we find here in the Christmas story, the one that you're familiar about. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard a portion of this read, and we're going to work our way through verses 1 all the way down to verses 30. Verse thirty-eight, and hopefully learn something. Hopefully learn something together. Again, this handout that you're receiving is just um, a, a helpful, hopeful guide for you. Um, those are some of the scripture that we'll reference this morning. Um, if we, if we, if I don't say them out loud, know that they have been referenced in um, in uh, today's sermon. So hopefully you can go back. And look towards um, as you're studying more and growing more, you can look back towards those those words. To bless means to give a gift of blessing or praise, or to speak well of someone. Uh, it's like when we first started the series. It's like a eulogy when someone has passed away. We begin to only speak good things about them and focus on the good things, and that's the true that's the true blessing. To curse someone means to wish evil on someone. Or something. And when when Peter and Paul both tell us that we as believers, as those falling and walking in obedience to Christ, that our desire should be to bless and not curse, this is what we're talking about. And so at Christmas time, it's easy to think about that. We want to be a blessing to others. We want to be a gift to many. And so we, um, we want to, to walk in that, to truly be a blessing to other people. And greed gets in the way of that. It's Christmas time. We're only a few days away from receiving gifts. Hopefully your wish list has already been told to whoever purchases gifts for you, but you probably could look at that list and see the greed that's on there. I want world peace and an iPad, or whatever the case may be. You see the greed um, rising up inside of you. We'll talk a little bit later, um, kind of in the middle of the sermon, about a word. That's, the, the word is altruism, and about how uh, truly, as humans, we are all faulty. We are all we all have error, and so even in our giving, sometimes we desire a greedy response. Even when we want to give something to someone, because our hearts are not pure, because our motives are not always pure, sometimes we give a gift just so we can have a response. See how well I am we 'll get to that in a minute. Greed shows up all greed shows up all the time let 's read together, Luke chapter two, starting in verse one in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when this governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. so Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We begin this story that you are very familiar with, with a census And I heard some Sunday school classes this morning talking about that census. Well, what's the purpose of the census? Why was there a census being taken? Why did all these folks need to be registered? Is it because the government truly wanted to look out or look after the welfare of others? Was it about, hey, let's register everyone. Let's keep up with everyone. Let's take a census so that we can truly take care of our people. Well, you know the government, even our government. Do they truly want to look after the little people? Are we truly wanting to look after everyone? Even in our own constitution, a census is taken so that we know the numbers in our country, so that we know those numbers, so that we can hopefully distribute wealth and land and resources and help to the places they're most needed. It seems good, but reality is, Augustus Caesar Augustus, who is in control, who is king, who is all-powerful, maybe he's just wanting to know how much power he really has. Maybe in a greedy moment, in a sinful moment, Caesar Augustus is not just registering folks so that he can look out for their welfare, but instead so that he can look out for his own welfare. Who do I have in my kingdom? How can I gain more? Do we have more people living here that need to be taxed? So that I can receive more funds. See, greed does everything it can to gain more. That's your first blank there. Greed does everything it can to gain more. You see this playing out in your own lives. How we often try and gain as much, as much as we can. Greed means a gaining of numerically more. The desire for more. A lusting for a greater number of temporary things. The world says, gain more power, get more power, get more money, more influence. And once you have all those things, maybe you'll be able to save some or help some or maybe even save the entire world. I mean, even the disciples were greedy for Christ to have power. Hey, hey, Jesus, when, when will you officially have all power so that you can begin doing powerful things? When will you have enough strength? When will you have enough authority, etc., to save the world? They were greedy for those things. Jesus, when will you gain the prestige or title needed to save the world and begin to rule? The disciples were greedy for an earthly, a temporary power, control, ruling, just as Caesar Augustus was. Greed always Does everything it can to gain more. Think about Mark chapter 8. I have just one verse there highlighted for you, but starting in verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny self, take up his cross, and follow me. This is the calling that Christ places on those who follow him. This is not a greedy gain for more things. This is a giving away of what you already have. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the entire world, the whole world, and yet forfeit his soul? The sin of greed, just like compare and competition and jealousy, just like envy, all these things wrapped up together in the form and pride in the form of greed, says, I want more. In a sense, we're saying, my kingdom come, my will be done. I want more things. I want more things. Greed does everything it can to gain more. And Christ is calling those who follow him, stop worrying about gaining more, start focusing on giving away more, particularly, and most importantly, your entire life. How do we hear about folks going to Mongolia? Mongolia. Folks going to Southeast Asia, folks going to Pakistan, folks going to Hobbes to share the gospel and risking their life. What's, what's causing them to do that? What's motivating them to do that? Josh, you know about Hobbes. You know what I'm saying. I mean, you guys are laughing, but you know. What's motivating them to do that? What's motivating them? It's not a gain. Not a gain for more for themselves. But instead it's a giving away of their life so that Christ might be exalted. So that others might know who he is because he is, because he is ultimate. Think about the coming of Christ in the Christmas time, like his appearance in the world. Christ is losing everything, prestige, power, control, authority to come and humble himself, be born in poverty in a sense, humble himself, be placed in a, in a feeding trough. Being wrapped in regular clothes, not royal regalia, royal robes. But instead, a giving up of it all. Why? Not so that he'll gain his own soul, but instead, by giving his life in humility to allow the entire world for their soul to be saved. This is Christ's calling even on our own lives that we wouldn't be people known of being greedy for gain, for our own selfish gain instead that we be people known known for giving up for living lives of gratitude living lives of contentment living living lives of satisfaction in what Christ has already given to us. Verse 8 Luke chapter 2 And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them in the glory of Of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know these words, right? As I read that, I want you to go back to back to verse ten and circle or highlight or underline the word behold. Behold, and then go move down the sentence, the verse, and underline good news. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. In this moment, the shepherds who are tending their flock, that they have control over, that their livelihood is based upon, they're watching out for their resources, their understanding of their time, Their place, and in this moment, the glory of the Lord is revealed to them. And they're at a crossroad, or a fork in the road. Will my life, including my flock, be about my glory? Or will my life, including my flock, be about the glory of the Lord? And if they were greedy folk, like so many of us, like myself they would continue to gaze not upon the angels singing this heavenly song of glory to God in the highest but instead they would focus their attention upon self because greed gazes upon self-glory. We wrestle with this daily. That's the second blank there. Greed gazes upon self-glory. We look upon self and say, but this is about me. These sheep are about me. This flock is about me. This is, this is about my name, my reputation. This is about my resources, my time. All that I'm doing is about me. I'm wanting to receive, I'm wanting to receive the glory. Greed does this to us. It leads us down a path where when we see the majesty of Jesus, we begin to compare Is His majesty, does it compare to my own desire for my own majesty, my own glory? And greed, sin, the sin of greed will lead you to constantly gazing upon self-glory. The Pharisees did this. It was sad. We do it today still. They have this glory hunger, J.R. Vassar says. Not for the Lord to receive glory or anyone else, but only that self-glory. Would receive the glory. We are greedy for glory, absolutely. Uh, Nacho Libre, he's famous for saying that. Don't you want a taste of the glory? Like we want the glory. We want it. We want my kingdom to come and my will to be done. We want to be known as folks who have things, who have things in order. You are familiar with um, the phrase alter ego? Alter ego. Some of you have one of these. You have an alter ego. Some of you save the world on the side. Uh, alter ego, the, the word really means like the other me or the other I. The, the one that I'm hiding for a moment but I'm going to come out of the phone booth and you're going to know, here's my alter ego. <laughs> or I'm going to put my girl pants on and I'm going to go and I'm going to save the world. It's my, alter, it's my alter ego. The problem is with the alter ego is it's still you. It's still serving you. It's the other me. I'm going to go save the world so that people know, hey, Superman's awesome. Batman's awesome. Whoever... Brian knows that's like not everyone else knows, but he knows all these great superheroes. This, this alter me is serving folks, and I'm receiving glory. My alter ego is the one receiving the glory. Well, in psychological and social work and soci- sociological terms, there's another phrase. The phrase is altruism, and maybe you're familiar with this. It's the same root word as, as alter ego, but instead of saying alter ego, the other me, or the other I, altruism, say, altruism says the other one. The other one that needs to be served. Not serving myself, that I would gain anything, but instead living absolutely, totally surrendered for someone else. Altruism says is that I have an unselfish concern or an unselfish devotion the welfare of others Christ is the only one who has demonstrated this to come lay down his life not so that he would gain anything but instead laying down his life that others might be that others might be saved we fight this deep down I want to give a gift to you and my hope is that you will receive this gift because I love you and I want you to see this that I'm giving you this gift But deep down in my heart, I hope that you see me giving this gift, that you will reciprocate that and give appreciation and love and mercy and compassion and a gift back to me. Christ doesn't model that. He shows an unconditional love, an unconditional concern. I will lay down my life for you. He sees us in our dirt and our grime and our impurities, and that's when he saves us. Not when we're holy and pure and the outside of the cup looks perfect, but he saves us when we are dirty and impure. Christ, again, Christ loves us, not just when you are pure and holy, but also when you are dirty and sinful. The Pharisees had it backwards. They wanted self-glory, and so they worked and worked and worked to keep the outside of the cup clean. Matthew 23, 25, and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they were full of what? Greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And we know that there's only one sacrifice who can clean both the inside and the outside. And that sacrifice has been made by Jesus. And so we focus on Him, giving Him the glory. Christ, praise you. Glory to you because you have done this great thing. The Pharisees were seeking to glorify themselves by cleaning the outside. All the while... Inside, full of greed and self-indulgence. Christ, again, Christ came not just to clean the outside, but the inside as well. Greed for self-glory is a works-based religion that will only lead to placing misery upon yourself. Greed is a self-glory works-based religion that will only lead to you placing misery on others that you have influence over. And the only remedy to fighting greed for self-glory is gratitude and contentment in what Christ has done. That He came to clean the outside and the inside. That He humbled Himself in a true act of altruism, in a true act of unconditional love, came and gave Himself to take your place. That you might be reconciled in your separation from God, you might be reconciled to God the Father because of what Christ has done. And the and the response to that should not be greed or walking in the curse, but instead gratitude and contentment. It should lead us to maximizing the eternal King instead of focusing in on fleeting things. We should learn through the process of sanctification. To be content with the contents of the covenant Christ has made. I'm going to read that again because I thought that was cool. It reminded me of Tony Evans. And I know some of you don't like him, but I do. Be content with the contents of the covenant Christ has made. Are we content with the contents that Christ has done for us? Or are we longing for more? It's just not enough, Jesus. Can you do something else? Can you do something more amazing than you've already done? And this leads to the last point. Have you ever had a moment of being underwhelmed? Have you ever had a moment of being underwhelmed? Parents, grandparents, you know this. Your child, your grandchild works on this magnificent art piece with their crayon and their paper that actually wasn't their paper. It was actually a bill that you had that you were supposed to pay to Norley, but you but he left it out and your kid got it and started writing on it anyways. And they bring you this piece of artwork. Daddy, mommy, granddad, Tia, whatever. Hey, look at this. I want to show you something. Prepare. Prepare yourself to what? Prepare yourself to be amazed. And so you've, okay, I'm ready for this. And your child or grandchild, niece, nephew, hands you, or husband, hands you this paper. <laughs> and you turn the paper over and you look at it and you want so badly to be overwhelmed by this but you can't help but just being underwhelmed wow this is this is incredible it is an incredible piece of artwork that you have done your creativity is is amazing that is the best tree that I've ever seen drawn daddy that's a, a lion that is the best lion I'd be lying to say it wasn't. It's the best lion I've ever seen. We find ourselves standing there, not amazed, standing there, underwhelmed. And so we say, hey, I'm going to keep this. And what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to keep working. Work harder. And at some point, husband, you're going to do something amazing. At some point, child, you're going to do something amazing that's going to be over-overwhelming overwhelming let's continue reading verse 15 when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, little opposite Mary here, verse 19 tells us, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering, pondering them in her heart. And when the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What were they pondering? What was she treasuring? What were they glorifying? Who were they glorifying? What were they praising? All that God had done. True worship, John Piper talks about this in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, but true worship happens when we find genuine pleasure and the treasure of Jesus. When our treasure is not things of this world that are fleeting, but instead we find that Jesus is our true treasure. And I think at this moment in this story, this real historical event, the shepherds, Joseph, Mary, they have a moment where they're saying, This is not about, this is not about me. This is not about me. This is not about my glory or my gain for more. But instead, this is all about Jesus. Think, think for a moment. I mean, what did Joseph and Mary have? They have this baby that is now well known, that's a miracle baby. And really, they could take this baby to the circus and sell tickets. Look at the nostalgia. Look how cr- crazy this is. Let us tell you the story. Come see this Jesus. And they could gain so much. With the baby that they have, but instead, but instead what do they do verse twenty two and when the when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. they didn't hold on to him saying let's Run away to some far foreign distant land and let's make a spectacle out of this baby. Let's gain for ourselves. But instead they went to present him in obedience to God's word, present him to the Lord. Some of you know what that word, that Greek word present is Peristemi, place beside or near. Lord, we're going to present to you Christ Jesus, who came from you. We're going to present him Back to you. As it is written in the law, verse twenty three says of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What we have happening here is something I think is incredible. We have Joseph and Mary beholding Jesus. They're holding on to the Savior of the world. And they have a desire to follow in obedience, follow in obedience what God's word and prophecy has talked about. To give back to the Lord, the Lord. We're going to follow in obedience. We're not going to be greedy and hold on to these things for, our, for ourselves, but instead, we're going to continue following faithfully what you have said for us to do. See, greed Overwhelms us with fleeting things. It's the last blank there. Greed overwhelms us with fleeting things and underwhelms us with eternal things. This wrestle that happens. Is Jesus really enough? Are these angels really singing about this baby? Is this really the answer to prophecy? Is he truly the Savior of the world? And if so, how can I use him for my own self? How can I use the, even proclaim the name of Jesus so that I might receive something fleeting in return? How can I have these things? What I hope to end here thinking about is this. As they present Jesus to the Lord, following Leviticus chapter 12, as they present Jesus to the Lord to offer a sacrifice so that so that they're pure, so that they can become pure. They are no longer underwhelmed with Jesus or the glory of the Lord, but instead they're growing and becoming more and more overwhelmed by who he by who he is, as he's being revealed to them and to the world of who he he truly is. And my hope this morning, as we end, is that we are moving in that direction. Of being overwhelmed by Jesus and Jesus alone, and not allowing sin and greed to underwhelm us the things of eternity, but instead allowing Christ, the eternal king, the eternal king, to overwhelm us, and to us to be content in who He is, and satisfied in who He is. Mary and Joseph had to follow the law. They had to offer this sacrifice. They had to present their firstborn son to the Lord at the temple. They had to purchase him back by providing they were poor so they could not provide a lamb, but instead they had to provide what they could afford, which was pigeons or two turtle doves. So they offered this sacrifice to the Lord. They offered their one and only son back to the Lord. Along with this sacrifice. Joseph and Mary offering their one and only son to God who Jesus truly is his one and only Son. They can't provide the Lamb of God. And in this temple scene, in this temple scene as they're offering what they can what they can provide, this is all I can provide, so I'm gonna offer to you what I can provide. I only hear the good news of the gospel. Sure, Mary and Joseph, you can only provide this. And it's not enough. But I will provide the Lamb. I will provide the Lamb. Behold, this one that you're presenting to me at the temple right now is the Lamb of God. And what happens? I mean, Christ is an infant. He's done nothing amazing yet. Parents, you know this. Infants haven't done anything amazing yet. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your, to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. It's a child who's done nothing yet, and yet he is beholding the Lamb of God. He's not standing at the temple waiting. Oh, finally the Christ is here. Now I'm going to take him and put him on display and and gain for myself. No, now I can, now my life is complete. I can be content and satisfied because I've seen the glory of the Lord. Behold the Lamb. John the Baptist says the same thing in John chapter 1. Christ had done nothing amazing yet. He'd only walked onto the scene and John says in John chapter 1, behold the Lamb. Of God, who comes to take away the sins of the world. What's the remedy to the sin of greed? Beholding the Lamb of God. What's the answer to be a blessing and a present and a gift to the world? Beholding the Lamb of God. Christ says, You cannot afford the sacrifice in your sinful poverty, broken, separated state. You can try your best and offer maybe two turtle dove, but it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Instead, let me present to you the Lamb of God who will be the once-for-all sacrifice that all, all tongues, all nations, all people might be reconciled to the Father through Jesus, the Lamb of God. Behold the Son of God, behold the Son of Man, behold the Lamb of God this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us even in this moment to be in awe of you and you alone, not greedy for self glory not greedy for more gain, not greedy for temporary fleeting things to hold on to, but instead be overwhelmed at you, our eternal King. We know that you're the only one who can present us blameless before the Father. Nothing that we do or will ever do will reconcile us. So Jesus, let us be in awe of you and you alone. And as we bring to you turtle doves, or greed, or jealousy, or sin, or anger, or pride, or lust, or whatever the case may be. And we set that on the table. Praise you, Jesus, for doing what only you can do in erasing those, removing those as far as the east is from the west. And as we sing to you this morning, God, we sing about how you came for a reason to save us through your death, burial, resurrection, taking our place. Let us behold you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.